In the name of the one, triune, holy, and living God. Amen. More than 20 years ago, while visiting my brother who lives in Thailand, a young Swiss couple and I hired a local guide to take us into the Khao Yai jungle for a day. A truck ferried us up a long, rough track to drop us off just before daybreak. As we slipped into the dense green of the rainforest, the path closed behind us and the forest wakened all around us. Exotic horn-billed birds, white-crested laughing thrush and cuckoo shrike chittered and shrieked while gibbon monkeys clambered and hollered high above. It was a glorious morning. The photographs would have been spectacular had the monsoon not arrived so early. The noisy forest chatter stopped suddenly and distinctly as if a soundtrack had been paused. And then moments later, and just as suddenly, the jungle roared with rain. Flash floods turned animal tracks, including our own, into rivers. Again and again, our guide would come up against torrents too strong to cross, and she'd change course, slicing into the jungle so that we could follow. Our trek was to have ended before the rains. Our eight-hour trip would instead become 15. As the rains came, the ground began to swell with leeches. Hordes of stringy leeches would mound and heave toward us in search of a meal. The three of us watched out for each other, warning one another when the bloodsuckers threatened to overcome boot tops or collars. Until our guide stopped us to explain with gestures and a few English words that the leeches were the least of our worries. That the danger was not so much at our feet, but about four feet high, where neon green pit vipers lie camouflaged in bamboo. The danger ratcheted up as we stumbled into a fog of ammonia so strong that our rain-soaked eyes stung at the stench, and our guide stopped still. Cat, she said. Big cat. And when we heard the not-too-distant sound of elephants, we begged to get closer until she warned us that we were already too close. By the time we could see them, they would already be charging us. No photos would survive from that day. The camera was ruined. The day itself, however, became a lens, and I was captured by its focus. In that wilderness, I occupied my skin in a way I never had before. Senses were heightened, and my skin prickled with a sort of radar I'd never known or needed. No longer was I a tourist. I inhabited the jungle. I was a creature among creatures, prey, hunted by leeches and tigers, a target of stampeding elephants, a friend to strangers, and utterly 
and completely made for this world. Never had I been so vulnerable, and never have I felt so alive. Of course, it was only 15 hours, and I had a guide, and she had a knife. I slept in a bed that night and rose to a hot meal before returning to the city. Jesus was out in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. No guide but the sun, moon, and stars. No companions but wild beasts, Satan, and angels. Mark doesn't say much more than that, but it couldn't have been easy. Surely Jesus struggled. He wrestled with real demons and real dangers. He hurt. He hungered. He thirsted and suffered. I chose to go on a day trip, but Jesus was driven into the desert. That's a big difference, and yet after my own brief time in the struggle, I can't help but wonder whether his wilderness experience also had something to do with how fully he occupied his skin after that. How the scarcity of water, the scorching days and frigid nights, the vulnerability to wild beasts and unholy temptations shaped his relationship with creation, with God, and with us. We rarely choose to enter the wilderness. We don't volunteer for pain, loss, danger, or terror. Almost always the wilderness comes to us in the guise of a devastating pandemic, a frightening hospital stay, a broken relationship, a hurting child, or, or a loss of faith. All of a sudden the wilderness is there, unbidden, unwelcome, at our doorsteps. We are driven into it, and sometimes even by God's own spirit. Sometimes our journeys with God include dark and desolate places, not because God wills our pain and suffering, but because we live in a fragile, broken world that includes deserts, disasters, and disease and that it is God's nature and desire to take the things of death and wring from them resurrection. Mark's story begins with an account of Jesus' baptism. When Jesus rose from the waters of the Jordan River, the heavens tore open, and God proclaimed Jesus' identity loud and clear. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. But what happened to that sure sense of identity and belonging as Jesus' wilderness wanderings stretched into week two, week three, week four? Did it waver? Did the Son of God have to keep reminding himself who he was? Did he have hours or days or weeks when he forgot? At his baptism, Jesus heard the absolute truth about who he was. That, that was the easy part. The much harder part came in the desert when he had to face down every vicious, mocking assault on that truth. As the memory of God's voice faded and the isolation of the wilderness played tricks on Jesus' heart and mind, 
he had to learn that his belovedness would still hold, that God's deep and unconditional delight would never depend on external circumstances. If these 40 days in the wilderness were a time for Jesus to decide who he was and would be and how he would live into his calling, then here is what the Son of God chose. Deprivation over power, vulnerability over rescue, obscurity over honor. At every instance in which he could have reached for the certain, the extraordinary and the miraculous, he reached instead for the precarious, the quiet, and the mundane. If scripture means anything, it is that we are to follow his example as we pass our own time in the wilderness. It is rarely clear, of course, what that means. And once we sense what it does mean, it's rarely easy to follow Jesus' lead and make those same choices. How often we would prefer the miraculous intervention, the dramatic rescue, the long-awaited vindication. How often we are disappointed by God's restraint. In my own experience, when I pray for help, some help usually comes, just not typically in the form I might ask or expect. And so I can't help but wonder just how did the angels tend to Jesus? Did they manifest as winged creatures from heaven, as a cooling breeze under a scorching sun, as a trickle of water for his parched throat, as a swirl of constellations on a clear and cloudless night? God's intervening grace may not always appear as we desire, but it is always present. Even in the land of deep shadow and starvation, even in the place where the wild beasts roam, God's agents of love and care linger. Even in the grimmest of circumstances, God abides and somehow, without reason or explanation, help comes, rest comes, solace comes. I wonder if sometimes we, like Jesus, need long stints in the wilderness to learn what it really means to be beloved of God. Because the unnerving truth is this. We can be loved and uncomfortable at the same time. We can be loved and vulnerable at the same time. In the wilderness, the love that survives is gritty, not soft. Salvific, not sentimental. Learning to trust it takes time, a long time. As we begin our journey into Lent, may we experience the companionship of Christ whose vulnerability became his strength. May we enter with courage the deserts we don't choose and can't avoid. May our common perils shape us into ever more whole and holy people. 
May our senses attune to God's surprising and attentive love in the barren places of our own lives. And may our long stints amid the wild beasts teach us who we really are, the precious and beloved children of our God. Amen. Thank you.